0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. It's good to be with you on this sunny Friday afternoon. Ooh, you know, every week we say it's a sunny Friday afternoon, but we actually have a chance of rain this weekend for like the first time in several months. That's a little bit exciting. Uh, it is less exciting for all of my friends and volunteers who are knocking doors or tabling at community events or otherwise trying to get out the vote this year. Uh, I trust that we will all Celebrate the reprieve that our good earth needs, in that rainfall, and maybe use that time to—I don't know—make phone calls or send text messages instead. Uh, this week we have a bit of a different format for the podcast. Both Scott and Bailey are unavailable today. I think they're both out of town, actually. B- but listeners, do not worry—we have a action-packed, guest-filled episode for you. Um, I am recording this and looking at uh, four faces of my dear friends and colleagues at the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma, who have joined us here to talk about, gosh, civic engagement all around. Um, th- we'll talk about their new voter guide that just came out this week. We'll talk about Vote 411. We'll talk about um, 2023 and what, what advocacy and what um, activism can look like or might look like next year as we move into the next legislative cycle, uh, and we'll talk about just—I think—the the work that we do of trying to engage voters in this brave new world. It's not—it's not really a post-COVID world. It's just like a sometimes a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, but like, how do we how do we do these things when um, we know? And we were just discussing this before we started recording, but. The traditional methods are clearly not as useful or as efficacious as they once were. So, um, all right, well, let me do a quick round of introductions and then we'll get into it. Joining us today, we have Stephanie Henson, Roxanne Logan, Abby Richards, and Jackie Finley. Welcome to the show, all of you. Um, Let's start with... um, well, maybe we can start with a little bit of history in case our listeners they, they probably know the name, the League of Women Voters, but are any of you a bit of a history buff on how long the league has been around or active in Oklahoma? I think Stephanie, you're probably the one to throw this to first.
1: Well, thank you. Yeah, as far as Oklahoma, I was gonna I was gonna go back even further <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> if you uh, if you yeah. I, I like telling about because for me that I think I had known about the league even first, just in my own personal life. Uh thanks to my history classes. And it was, I had, I remember probably when I was 18 year old years old and in university and doing um, papers on the women's movement and all the women who worked hard to gain the right to vote for women, which we finally got in the form of the 19th amendment in 1920. And the League of Women Voters was born within that movement. The League of Women Voters goes back to a time before women had the right to vote. But for all of us, even if you don't have the right to vote, you always have a voice and you always have influence and you always have things about which you're passionate and about which you want to advocate. And so women prior to the 19th amendment uh, felt strongly about things like the anti-slavery movement, especially in the temperance movement. Those were two of the very big movements that gave birth to the League of Women Voters because they realized that if they really wanted the oomph behind their voice, they needed to get the vote. And so that was um, the Declaration of Sentiments happened in Seneca Falls, New York, in which women came together and they drafted uh, uh, something that looked a lot like the Declaration of Independence, basically saying that women, too, want these same freedoms and these rights that are described in the Declaration of Independence. And that was... Um, Uh, There was only one woman who lived to see the 19th Amendment. I often tell people that, you know, the idea that it's a long journey to get those rights. But uh, but then finally, the the 19th Amendment was passed in the 1920s and uh, the League of Women Voters was born. And for me, then um, it's been interesting because we have in Oklahoma a number of different local leagues. But we also have um, several of us here are members of the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma. County and that league had been inactive until 2018, it became active again. So it's really cool for me, as someone who was only involved since 2018, to meet women who are part of the League of Women Voters of Oklahoma County, going all the way back to the 1970s and women who marched for the Equal Rights Amendment during that time, because there was, um, in fact, a period of time in which there wasn't much movement for the league in Oklahoma County. So it's it's really fascinating. We have a leagues in Tulsa and Norman, Stillwater, Bartlesville, uh, Lawton that have been around consistently longer. So uh, the league has the League of Women Voters of the U.S., League of Women Voters of Oklahoma, League of Women Voters of Bartlesville at all. You know, throughout the
0: yeah so. yeah, I I think some of our listeners know um, back in twenty nineteen and twenty twenty when we were working on our ballot initiative, right? For people, not politicians, for independent redistricting. Um, I had the uh, the pleasure of driving around and I think we did town hall meetings in every city where there are local leagues active and a bunch of other cities as well. Um, in some cases, you know, members of leagues drove several hours to join us for some of those events. And it was really great for me to kind of get to know everybody and see new towns. And you mentioned Bartlesville. I somehow had probably not been to Bartlesville in twenty something years since college, and forgot what terrific architecture there is in Bartlesville. It's a it's a l- weird little nugget out in the plains with really unique um, kind of mid century architecture out there. Uh, so that was was great. Aside from you know, the folks there being wonderful as well, um, their library was really cool. I do remember that. Well, that uh, that history was really uh, really helpful. Stephanie, thank you. Um, let's talk about. Now, let's talk about what's happening this cycle. Um, Could one of you tell us a little bit about kind of what the league has been doing this year in 2022 for this election cycle and um, kind of all the little activities and kind of just how active has it been, I guess?
2: Hi, this is Abby. I'm glad to talk about it. It's been a really interesting and really active year. As we came out of the last election cycle we were thinking about ways that the league could be impactful in oklahoma and one of the needs that we saw for voters in oklahoma was youth voter representation so oklahoma has only 21.8 percent of the population that was voting in that demographic um in the youth vote, which we consider to be 18 to 34. Um, for people that are 65 and older there's 70 percent of the people are participating so there's um a big gap between the percentage of young people that are participating and the people in the older age brackets that are participating we want to meet them in the middle um we want everyone to be participating and everyone to be voting and so we started asking some questions about how can we reach the younger voters like why are they not engaged we have a lot of great partners in different organizations across oklahoma and we talked to a lot of different groups like what's happening here and how can we engage in this and the league um was lucky to receive some sponsorship from the kirkpatrick foundation To spend some time this year focused on youth voter participation and that was mainly it's called grab the future by the ballot and there's a whole um pr push behind that to try to find both messages and campaigns um, on social media and in person in the community trying to find ways to reach out and connect with that 18 to 34 year old voter block because you have only 34 percent of them that leaves you a lot of a lot of room to fill in we want to register people at all different ways across the state. And so we had to try different things. We talked about how do you reach voters in rural communities? How do you reach people in more urban communities? How do you reach the people who aren't going to be on social media? Um, And so we spent some time thinking about it. That's one of the things I love about the league. We study things a lot first before we do them. Like it's thoughtful, it's meaningful. We have some sponsors that were able to help us get more outreach than we could do on our own. And it's been interesting to see the reaction to that and to sort of figure out how you speak effectively to the next generation of people and the next generation of the league, because this is our future too. There's We want to reach voters. We want more people to be interested and excited about civic engagement. And it was a great push to do the registration today as we're recording as the clock is ticking down to the end of the ability to register for November. And so now we're moving to get out the vote with the same group of people. We now, we've tried to register a bunch of new people. How can we work with our partners across the state, across the nation really, to turn out that youth vote that's one of our big pushes this election cycle which was which was different and focused and i think has been really neat to watch happen
0: that's exactly right and you know um it, I, I forget i didn't say that at the beginning but today as we record this it's the 14th it is the voter registration deadline so listeners i'm sorry if you are somehow listening to this and not yet registered we should talk but also um you've missed the boat for this election, you can still register. There are more elections in February. So go ahead and mark your calendars. Um, But uh, yeah, how to reach people is such an important thing. And uh, Abby, you said the word future, which makes me think about the kind of campaign that the league has had this year called grab your future by the ballot. do you, Abby, or maybe Roxanne, do you want to tell us a little bit about that campaign and, and what it is and kind of what all goes into it?
3: Well, I think we need to let Abby finish. She's the one that was kind of the ramrod of that. <laughs> uh, I
2: I think for me, this was a really interesting campaign. Um, I sort of volume the so I'm not in the 18 to 34 age bracket. And so as we were trying to figure out how to reach this group of people, we had to spend some time making sure that we were reaching them where they are. So this um, campaign was to look at ways to do that in language. So the slogan itself, we spent some time developing um, with did some market research to figure out what resonated with people. We talked, if you've seen the branding, there's lots of bright colors. There's lots of different graphics than you've seen from the league. And um, we're trying to catch your eye visually and with a slogan that is like a little bit edgy to try and get people to, be like, wait, pause. (laughs) Let's think about that for a second. Um, But I think, you know, the branding and the communication that you saw on social media is just part of it. There were also more traditional paths of communication through, um, I think, Stephanie wrote a letter to the editor. We talked to people in their schools. We talked to people at tables across the state in big places, in small places, at little county fairs, and tried to put ourselves in places where we had more interaction with youth voters, but did that in a way with messaging that we had studied that was going to reach them more. I mean, I'm a 40 something year old lawyer. I don't speak to teenagers every day. So it took a little bit of learning for us to try to understand their issues and what was keeping them from voting and then try to translate that and reach them and be like, you wouldn't let your grandparents decide what you're gonna wear. Are you gonna let them choose your leaders? So there was a lot of discussion around that. You wouldn't, you don't want your parents picking your career. Why are you letting your grandparents pick your senator? So there was a lot of like, think of contextualizing your voting decision with the other decisions in your life that your 18 year old is making. Um, It was pretty refreshing to think about it from a different perspective. And we, you know, they have a lot of power and we wanna develop that ownership earlier on because the sooner you get engaged, the more engaged you're gonna stay. I mean, I worked on my first campaign as a precinct manager when I was 16 and I was hooked. And so I've done this for the next two, 30 years or something, Um, but you have to find that way to connect them the first time to get, and then you have to figure out how to keep them to keep coming back.
0: Yeah. Well, and I saw a statistic, right? That like, I think most people know that older voters turn out at a higher rate. And so like the number of voters in Oklahoma that are 65 and older is roughly the same number of voters as in that younger age group, right? Like the two, the kind of the two tails of that bell curve are about the same size, but the older voters do turn out at a way higher rate. So like the potential is there for them to be somewhat equal in, in, you know, each vote only counts once, but if only one group is turning out at such a high rate, then it really, it does shift what the outcome would be. And I think your example is similar to what I often say, like when I explain voting to my kids um, who were not yet teenagers, but I say like, you know, if there's 20 kids in your class and you let three or four of them choose what kind of pizza the whole class has to eat. You either have to have a lot of trust in what they're going to pick, or uh, you're going to get stuck eating something you don't want to eat. Like what if they all want something gross and then you have to eat it. That's what happens with voting too, right? If people don't participate, then you're stuck eating the gross pizza.
1: I I do have something I want to contribute here that, um, that, When I've talked to these young folks, exactly what you're saying, though, I I actually recognize that that was a reason that some young voters gave me that they weren't ready to register to vote. in at least a couple of occasions and in some very small communities. And it's the idea that I think if we, for example, I have a very democratic family and it was encouraged that my children maybe think for themselves. A lot um, I have had, and, and at the same time, I as well am from a family where, and I think maybe this is always true, where there's some areas in which the idea that we can be independent and free thinkers and maybe think differently about something than what our parents think. But on the other hand, there are also, um, and I had at least one young voter say to me, she said, I'm not ready to register to vote. She said, I'm a lot more liberal minded, I think, than my parents, and they're very conservative, and I don't want to. Disappoint them is what she said. And I think there's sometimes a feeling that if what you're saying is they would rather maybe go along, go with the flow, go with maybe their family and maybe not choose not to vote at all, as opposed to voting for something that maybe they think their parents would be against. It was a really sad and sobering moment, I think, for me when I've talked to some of these young voters who feel that way.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. That is a good point. It is tough to go against your parents, right? Like not everybody has a rebellious spirit in it. Um, and I think probably most of us, right, grew up with similar political leanings of our parents because that's kind of what we were taught or what we were raised as. And I remember for me, so I grew up um, in a conservative Christian home. Like, I, you know, my parents did never talk about politics, but I kind of was just assumed that they were probably Republican, I think. Like looking back, I do remember like the 92 election when Ross Perot ran we were from Texas and he was from Texas. So that was a little exciting. And he was like real funny with his little voodoo stick thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dana then, yeah, that's right. Dana that's right. And then when I went to college, like in some ways my allegiance to Texas, cause George W. Bush was running. Like there was that I was like, well, I shook his hand one time. Like we should vote for him. Cause I didn't know anything about his opponent, you know? And I guess that was Bush and Gore in 2000. And so I probably just didn't vote because I, you know, all the reasons that every 20-year-old doesn't vote. But then over the next few years, like started thinking more about, well, what matters to me and tuning in just a little bit to those policy discussions and what what the candidates had to say at the presidential level. But honestly, I had no awareness of anything below that, right? Like I knew we had a governor. But the idea that I could have a say in that or that I would even have an opinion about it was so completely foreign where I just like was allowed to pick my own cereal like for you know the last few years. How would I dare <laughs> pick, have a say about the governor? Uh, and certainly a lot has evolved over the last 20 years as I've learned that we really all have an opinion and can express that regardless of how we feel. Yeah.
2: I think that goes right back to, this is Abby, back to what Stephanie said at the beginning, which is like the league was founded on this idea that all voices should be at the table. It started off with suffrage, but the idea was we want everybody to vote and that Oklahoma is better and stronger when all those voices are at the table and all those voices are counted and everybody gets a chance to speak. And this is your, for most people, your guaranteed way to speak in that process. And it's really just the first step. But this idea that like, even the people who don't know everything, you don't have to know everything yet. There are resources, we're here to help you. Like we're gonna help you register to vote and then we're gonna help you get information about the candidates. We're not just gonna register you and leave you. Like as we move to the go out the vote phase, we want you at the table, we want you to be part of the conversation because it is a community conversation, but we wanna help you get the information you need to make informed decisions. Cause it's not a one and done, we register you and walk away life. Like the idea is that we are here to support you with our partners your whole life as a voter. So we wanna make sure as we're registering these youth voters that we understand what they care about, but also help them learn how to get the information they need to feel more confident in those choices, to feel like they know where to go, that they have a long-term resource, that we can help them find the next step. And that's the other part of this campaign is like, the same mission the league has always had, bring everyone to the table, everyone should get to talk. And we wanna make sure you have access to the information you need to be, make your own choices, because making your own choices is hard. I mean, I moved back to Oklahoma a few years ago, and there were there were some candidates that were very confusing to me on the ballot. And it was sometimes really hard to find that information. And it still is, even with all of the internet, sometimes hard to find that information. So that's our next phase is how can we make sure we're supporting them too?
3: Well, Andy, you know, one thing I've noticed when I have been registering voters and talking with young people, uh, the majority of the young people I register are registering independent and uh or no party and they i ask them you know just out of curiosity why they're doing that rather than a party and most of them say because they don't really have a lot of trust in either party uh so they would rather register independent and then make their mind up at the time of the election. Uh, But too many of the young people also think the only election there is is the presidential election. Uh, And I tried to explain to them that actually the presidential election has less effect on their day-to-day life than their city council government, their county government, and their state government. And those are the different governments, their school board. Look at what the school board, how they affect their life. Those smaller elections are the ones they really need to focus on and really need to be educated on the candidates about because those people are the ones that their day-to-day life affect their day-to-day life more than the national politics do.
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right, Roxanne. I. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I find it really helpful to like ask people <clears throat> what matters most to them. And, you know, our our friends at Generation Citizen do this really well with their kind of action civics or whatever they call it now um, <clears throat> program where they have students identify uh, an issue in their community that they're concerned about and then taking the time to figure out, OK, well, who is actually responsible for that problem? Who can make change there? and doing that root cause analysis for where does that issue come from and who are the change agents that can help fix this? Because, you know, if your issue is potholes and you write a letter to President Biden, that's probably not going to fix your pothole, but your city council person has a say in that. So those knowing where things are effective, uh, you know, I've, I've been text banking a lot this week um, to we'll call them low propensity voters who, um, you know, need a little nudge to turn out we think based on, you know, the data we have available. And there's been a few of them who have said, uh, made some comment about like, yes, they're voting or no, they're not voting because of something with the president. And every time I'm like, well, the president is not on the ballot this year. It's like, okay. And so I want to, I don't want to be gruff about it, but I do try to find ways to turn that around to say, Hey, I totally get that sentiment. You know, this, this election has all statewide stuff on here. You know, there's some, US Senate, but it's mostly state things. How can, what is it the state level that matters most to you to see if I can find an inroad to have a conversation and maybe build a little relationship with that voter about things here at home? Not just being upset about, you know, gesturing broadly stuff out there, but actually like, well, what is it here? The economy? Okay. Do, what do you think about um, what's happening here? So, um, I think that's exactly exactly right. Um, Abby, you mentioned about how the league goes about educating voters, and maybe that's a good segue into the um, Oklahoma Voter Guide that just came out, um, and I don't know who wants to field this question, but um, the the Voter Guide is available online, I'll say, at okvoterguide.com, um, It is, there's some print copies available. You can get them at, I think, Metro Libraries. You'll start seeing them, um, you know, kind of floating around town. Um, Tell us a little bit about where this voter guide came from, how long you've been doing it, um, kind of information about it so that people know what to expect if they go to the website or they find a print copy.
4: Hey, this is Jackie. Um, I believe this is the fourth voter guide that has come out. They come out over... uh, some more of the major elections um and mary jane from tulsa um does uh, she she does an outstanding job trying to put it together i know it takes her you know months to, to come up with it so huge thanks to her huge shout out to her and um even the people who fund it um i know bill clifford was one and he's a been a, a very long time activist and Oklahoma. Um, But um, it's just basically all of the candidates that are up for election and a little synopsis of the seat that they are running for and the responsibilities of that seat so people have a better idea of what exactly they are voting for. So um, we hope that in putting that together that um, it's a nudge for them to try to look into who they actually want to be seated in office. Um, You know, debates and forums are very important in Oklahoma, but we don't have, um, we don't always have success in putting those together. So we do the voter guide instead. So um, that being said, also, when you look through the voter guide, or even if you, you know, somehow don't get access to the voter guide, you can always go to OK Voter Portal Or just Google Oklahoma voter portal, it'll come right up. And if you're already registered to vote, you can click on your sample ballot. Look through that before you show up at your precinct and look at the people that are there. Kinda Google their names, Google their websites, try to see what they're about. And you wanna try to put people in office who you really think are gonna represent you. And hopefully we have people that you feel like will actually represent you see, you know, when you vote for them, you're confident in who you're voting for.
0: Yeah. I mean, anyone who I think looks at a voter guide or has tried to put, you know, a resource guide together, uh, knows the immense amount of information and time required to put something like that together. And I don't know, I've ever seen any voter guide that was perfect, right? Because it's sometimes hard to find information about certain candidates um, if they don't have much of a web presence or social media presence, um, I will say in in this voter guide, one of the things I like is on the, the candidate section, you've got the gubernatorial, the U.S. Senate, the U.S. Um, House of Representatives, and then all of the executive branch. So it's like all the statewide elected officials besides the governor here in Oklahoma Judicial and then House and Senate, and it is almost impossible to find stuff about all the House and Senate candidates for all of the different races, right? Because there's a 101 in the House, they don't all have opponents, and then um, roughly another 26 in the Senate, and they also don't all have opponents, and that alone is eye-opening. So if you go to the House and Senate state election page, it shows the maps for both House and Senate and just a list of all the districts. And how many of them have candidates and how many of them don't. And that is a, a stark reality that so many of our state legislative seats go unopposed. I know there's been news stories about this, and I'm sure we've talked about it on this podcast before, um, but it is really kind of just staggering when you see all of the white space on the screen of like, oh gosh, well, every house seat is up every two years and only one, two, three, like do roughly I don't know, a dozen or so have an opponent. It's nuts. Um, Some of them had opponents in the primary from their own party, and now they don't. So now they're already elected. Um, But that is one of those aspects of our election system that I think we could talk a bit more about. So from uh, what Abby has shared with me, the league has distributed 450,000 copies of the 2016 guide back in 2016, That's half a million. That's enormous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, and um, I think back then it was like printed and just warehoused in someone's garage, right? Stephanie, is it in your garage right now? Is that what I heard?
1: (laughs) We talked about it. No, I somehow uh, dodged that bullet. (laughs) We have it, and it is at the League of Women Voters. And that is the other place, the libraries and currently our league offices in the state too have the print copies. We're still getting those distributed to the different partner organizations
0: And it's being printed both in English and Spanish this year too, right? You had someone that you're able to contract with to do the Spanish translation. That's huge. Um, you know, some of our partners have been knocking doors on South side, just doing voter education, get out the vote. And to be able to have that and hand it to a voter at their door, um, is a game changer for how they relate to, um, to elections. Uh, and, also, um, Abby told me this earlier today. The it's being published in braille as well for those that are visually impaired. That's incredible. No. I just want to see one. Obviously, I don't, I don't read braille, but I
1: do too.
2: <laughs> I do too. I really. I mean, this is one of the things I like about the voter guide's evolution. It talks about how you know Oklahoma is evolving. Having it in braille is amazing. And as we reached out to start distributing those, what we learned is a lot of people who go blind later in life don't learn braille. So now we're working to have enough audible version so they can have a, a out loud version that's read so that the people who didn't learn braille who might be losing their vision later in life can get one that's read to them too so we're working on improving accessibility we do have the translated spanish version on the website that was translated um by a person but we also have machine translations in 10 other languages so far that are on the website we're still trying to reach people where they are there's a couple more languages coming um but it's one of the ways we're trying to grow with this year two, because it's even harder to find voting resources in those other languages. Um, So we want to try and be a resource for the people who have difficulty finding the materials in their native languages.
0: That's really amazing. I know other states do this better than us, but it's so exciting to see someone in Oklahoma. I mean, I would love for the government to just do this as a core function of government. That seems reasonable to me. But I'm glad that in, in lieu of that, we have groups like the League who are trying to Meet people where they are and help them have the information they need to vote. Um, you know, one of the one of my goals for next year is to be able to have transcriptions of our podcast episodes. We're not able to do that right now. I probably could enunciate better to help facilitate some kind of machine transcription service, but um, we, I have a number of we have a number of um, hearing impaired. Supporters who have asked specifically, like, Hey, could you do these? Because I'd love to be able to listen to them. I get it. It's just a matter of time and money um, right now. So I think, you know, a commitment towards trying to move that direction and looking for resources is, says a lot about the caliber and the character of an organization. Um, let, can we talk a little bit about Vote 411? Um, that is. That's not just a local effort. That's like a national effort, right? By the the national league to help provide information about elections. Stephanie's that you're nodding. So I'll yes,
1: all. that's right. It's um it is national, and it's we at the Oklahoma League. It's there's always been this conversation about uh, what are the advantages to our voter guide compared to uh, vote four one one. But vote four one one, it has so many. I think the potential for our vote four one one is there to be used uh even and all the more it's one of the things that makes it very different from our voter guide is our voter guide information has been gathered by league members uh, off of available information
0: on the other hand
1: vote 411 is an opportunity for the candidates to control the messaging so in that way we've liked it because it allows them we provide questions that are presented to candidates. We invite them to enter a portal that only they can access and then they get to provide and control their message themselves. And it also, you can do it at every level of government. Your school, you can have your school board. If you wanted to do a a televised school board meeting, you could put it out on your vote 411 because it goes all the way down to the local level. So the potential for vote 411 is huge. One of the things that we've been struggling with is candidate participation, which has been true. You know, we were saying as well, that's been true with uh, forums and we're just really struggling to find candidates who are wanting to um, participate for some reason. And You know, it's been, uh, our, I think it's been at about 20%. Uh, I, I participated quite a bit in the, in Vote 411. I was on that committee in uh, 2020. So in the last general election. And I think it was about 20% then, and it may be, I'm not sure what the numbers are now, but we're, we've not been getting good participation. uh, So yeah, we're just struggling to kind of figure out how to improve that because the potential for vote 411 is huge.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's uh, this week, uh, I think yesterday on Twitter, there was a lot of discussion from the Rural Schools Coalition. They were gonna host a debate between Ryan Walters and Gina Nelson. And then i guess he canceled or it fell through i didn't i'm not totally clear on all the details of what actually happened so forgive me listeners if i'm wrong about this um but that's not the first time right it is tough to get candidates to nail down and in fact i think 538 politics podcast excuse me did an episode about this or talked about i guess it's a trend across the country where incumbents in particular just are refusing to participate because debates aren't as they're not viewed as often by the public. And I think they are viewed internally as less of a tool to persuade voters and more of a risk of alienating voters. And so you know on uh, here in Oklahoma City, Mayor Holt, right? He refused to debate his candidates or his opponents. and there were a variety of reasons for that. I think you know, all of his opponents were kind of far out there. And he was like, "I don't, I don't want to honor them by being on the stage because they're going to talk about stuff that is just a little bonkers and, like, frankly, shouldn't be part of the public discourse." Um, those are my words, not his. And so I, I wrestle with that too. And I think, as we were talking before we got started recording, you know, how do we, how do we bring voters together so that they can they can have access to some of this information so they can engage with candidates and get to hear it, you know, straight from the horse's mouth. If one candidates are not interested and two, maybe voters aren't either, right? Like what, who wants to be, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's like the political theater aspect where it's just as off-putting. I don't know. Have you, have you all heard from any voters in particular? I mean, you kind of shared a story earlier, but about, if, if debates or forums, of those kinds of events are viewed as useful by voters?
1: This, this is Stephanie. One of the interesting conversations I had with Drew Edmondson had to do with when he was running for governor and how he perceived the audience participation. And he said, when people were on stage really discussing substantive policy issues, I looked out of, across the audience and they were on their phones when certain candidates were on stage. He said, then the Tiger King got up to speak. He said all the phones went down. And that has made me sad from the perspective of we as voters are, and, and as audience members are perhaps not demanding of ourselves more compelling conversation. When we have conversation with our friends and neighbors and at our Thanksgiving table, how are we at having substantive policy debate and discussion and if we start elevating and I love for all of our coalition partners who work with students and you know we and I'm a former educator so for me this I have a huge heart for this how are we teaching our children to discuss difficult uh sometimes difficult sometimes just you know but policy how are we teaching how are we teaching one another to discuss policy and I think when we start knowing what good elevated policy discussion and debate looks like, and we recognize how meaningful that is. I loved when Abby was saying, you know, that meaningful debate and meaningful discussion and having hard questions and being able to discuss hard things uh, in compassionate and compelling ways being able to disagree good civil discourse and so many of our wonderful coalition partners you mentioned the civic learning coalition and generation citizen and they're doing that wonderful work of talking to students who have you know there's all of these students and when i've been going and doing the direct voter engagement and i've been knocking on doors i have loved the, when the, the children will come up and around and why is this woman knocking on our door kind of a thing and we start talking about voting and the kids get excited because they are passionate about their communities and they do care about their parks and their playgrounds and their schools and their teachers and the books that they're reading and they want to be able to raise their voices and be heard and have their voice influence the voters in their lives, you know, that come out. And what's been so lovely is the number of people, the parents with whom I've spoken, when they see their children getting excited about these policy debates, these parents, some of them even reluctant voters, have said, well, maybe I will go and vote because they've seen that it matters to their children. Their children do care. And you see that hope rise up in voters, and that's been amazing. And I thank you for that, Andy, and for everybody who's doing direct voter engagement because it's been lovely. That's what I want to do is to inspire Oklahomans to be better about having policy discussion.
0: You, you can hear the excitement in your voice, Stephanie. That's, that's great. Um, you know, it also reminds me that back in 2018, when Governor Stitt was running against Drew Edmondson, Um, There was a a group of high school students. um, I think then Representative Jason Dunnington and State Senator Adam Pugh had kind of organized this group of of high school students to help co-host or host a a gubernatorial debate. They did it at OCCC. Um, We helped um, kind of facilitate that as well. And that audience of entirely high school students was very tuned in. Um, they, you know, wrote the questions. I think they had some journalists that actually read some of them, but they had students there. It was more of a town hall style debate, like they're, you know, loosey goosey with the, you know, a, a cordless, a wireless mic and walking around on stage. And it was really interesting to see, one, how high school students kind of related to that situation, that environment, and two, how they listened to what people said. And I think there was you could kind of feel a vibe of like, does this really matter to me? Certainly from some students, um, but an overarching like attention that this is going to be about education. This is stuff that should matter to us. And these are important people who are taking time to have this conversation with us. We should tune in. We should listen. Um, And at some point, someone asked how many of them were 18, right? And that was the part that I think shifted the debate mood for the candidates was, they're not just talking to a room full of high school students. They are talking to a room full of voters and this realization of like, Oh, well, there's a couple of thousand people here who could really shift some of these neighborhoods that I think I might have locked down in a direction that um, I don't want to see. And so that was just a cool dynamic to the kind of witness. I wish that kind of thing would happen more obviously, and certainly like in a more authentic way. I think part of the struggle for a lot of voters is that debates feel theatrical. They don't feel like a, a policy discussion. It's pandering, you know, it feels that way. Um, it feels fake, I guess, is just a really simple way to say it. Like, like I sometimes don't watch debates, especially lately because I already know how these candidates feel on a particular issue. I don't want to, I'll be, I didn't watch the DA, the Oklahoma County DA's debate the other day Um, For this very reason, like I'm pretty confident and I understand where these candidates feel on the issues. I know who I'm voting for and I didn't want to save space in my brain for whatever was going to happen there. And from what I understand, uh, that's how it ended up, right? Towards the end of the debate, it got a little, uh, you know, messy. And I was like, that's exactly right. Like I'd rather spend time doing something else. Um, But I would like to find ways to Bring that back to bring back some of that authenticity, that connection, that meaningfulness that used to used to be there.
3: Well, Andy, this is Roxanne. Uh, it does kind of seem like in a regular debate setting that everything the candidate is going to talk about, you can go to their website and find it out. And I really like the town hall setting, like you were talking to earlier where the people who are there, whether they already have their minds made up or not, they have the ability to ask questions and receive real-time answers to those questions. And depending on those answers, they may change their mind if they went to the debate with their mind already made up. And I, I, it's an opportunity for them to bring their kids If the kids are not old enough to vote, at least they start learning about the democratic process and what it means to be a candidate for an office and what is required of that candidate by the people who are going to be electing them. Uh, I, I like the town halls, which is why I tend to put on town halls more than I do just debate. Uh, I think it's a learning opportunity, not only for the voters, but for those who are yet to be voters that are going to very soon.
0: Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Well, um, as we kind of wrap up today, that this is a good reminder, listeners, that on October 26th, I believe, no? 20th. About, say it again.
1: October 20th. Or, or the 25th? Are you talking about the open house?
0: Yes, the 25th. it the 25th. Oh, I was 25th about the gubernatorial
3: debate.
0: No, we'll talk about all these things. This is good. It, this, thank you. This is why you're on the show today, ladies. Thank you. Um, to Roxanne's point, on October 20th is the gubernatorial debate. News Nine is um, we broadcasting it. Ooh, it'll be on C-SPAN, right across the country, coast to coast. C-SPAN is supposed to be simulcasting it, um, so that'll be interesting. I will probably tune in to watch that one i'm a little nervous but i'm interested in that gubernatorial debate um mostly because i haven't seen joy in a debate like that since she was running for superintendent and i'm kind of just curious how they each respond to the pressure in that um and then on the 25th um yeah uh, many organizations including the league and us and care oklahoma and several others are have organized a A candidate open house, like the way that we described it was a, it's like a science fair, but the candidates are the science experiments, but it'll be um, a really great, uh, just kind of a room with candidates from many of the Oklahoma County races, um, state legislative races, and a few other things. There'll be a representative there from Oklahoma City public schools about the school bond issue. Um, We invited all the candidates. They have not all responded. We're still adding candidates as they do respond. Uh, You can find that event on our Facebook. If you go to facebook.com slash Let's Fix This okay, you can find it on there. Um, It should be a good time. Uh, Genuinely, you know, an in-person meet and greet with candidates. You have a chance to ask them uh, about their policy stances, their positions, what they bring to the position um, face to face. So that'll be good. And then, of course, Election Day on November 8th. Can't forget that. Uh, early voting begins November 2nd. That is the Wednesday before the election. That is new this year. An extra day of early voting Wednesday the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. So th- Wednesday through Saturday. You can vote at your county election board. I encourage you to vote early. That way you get to vote in person. You still got a sticker and you get it out of the way, right? Who knows? We could have an ice storm on election day. You can really cramp your style. This way you can plan it out. You got a few options um, to vote early. If you've received a mail ballot, I know I got mine this week in the mail. You can still request a mail ballot. If you haven't requested it, you have until the 24th. So you've got about another week to request a mail ballot. Um, if you need a notary, reach out to us. I know Abby and I are both notaries. We'll meet you somewhere. If you're in Oklahoma city, I'll meet you at a coffee shop and notarize your ballot. Um, my mother-in-law brought hers over last night. Like we're already already in ballot notarization mode. Um, And then if you don't vote early by mail or early in person, you can vote on election day, which is perfectly fine and good. Uh, And at your local polling place, polls will be open seven to seven. But then that night on election night, um, come to the Tower Theater. uh, We're going to have the election night show. Um, It's going to be super exciting right before the podcast today. I secured our musical guest, which I will announce soon. Uh, Mayor Holt is going to be one of our guests. We're going to have a lot of fun. If you'd like uh, The Tonight Show, or if you're like me and you like The Late Show with David Letterman, it's the same kind of idea. Um, It won't be quite as expansive as it was in 2018. It's going to be a much more focused and more fun, I think, kind of laid back event. We'll have food, we'll have music, we'll have election results, good people. Uh, It's a free event at the Tower Theater in Oklahoma City um you oh i don't think i put it on facebook yet uh listeners wait like 3 days and i'll put it on facebook and you can uh you can find more information there um, we're really excited about it it should be a ton of fun we look forward to seeing everybody there on that note um to our guests stephanie abby roxanne and jackie thank you for joining us today we really appreciate you being here listeners thank you for being here as well um i'm just going to end with the phrase we say every week, decisions are made by those who show up. This is your chance. Please, please, please show up and vote this year. Have a good week.